Hello and welcome to System Mastery. It's the podcast where we beat a dead horse, 1d6 damage at a time. I'm Jeff, and the pallid shell of John is joining me from what I must presume is near the end of his life. I've never seen him this sick before. He just asked for Rosebud a minute ago, whatever that is. Today, we're diving into the uh, mystical, sort of high-tech, I guess, maybe sort of Magic the Gathering-y, definitely anime-inspired, yeah, definitely anime-inspired world of the secret of Zir-On. I hope you're ready for inventive, if decidedly confusing, adventure. I know John isn't. He's trying to go into the light instead. Anyway, it's System Master. Welcome back. I'm Jeff. John's here with me. John, I've already told everyone that you're dying, but just confirm it for the audience, would you? Oh, yeah. I'm, oh, God. Oh, there we go. Okay. Uh, none of that. People are going to turn it off immediately. We're going to get a whole bunch of emails from people complaining about how their Asmar was triggered by that or whatever. <laughs> well, sucks to your Asmar. Every time. It's funny every time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. If you haven't seen what Asmar is before, folks, go look it up. It's people who get kind of... Tingly. Tingly when they hear people whispering. Yeah, or you get like beans low, in a bowl. Yeah, low hummy noises and stuff like that. I, I'd say about 90% of it is people wanting to listen to hot chicks talk. Or the other way around. I've seen ones where it's like hot dudes that are like, I'm going to give you a haircut. <laughs> well, you know, I don't really need a haircut, but, you know, thanks. <laughs> I got one fairly recently. Yeah, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little snipping. Snip, snip. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just that. And then there's people who are like, I get even better tingles on the back of my head than other people get because I have a special thing. I've got special Asmar. Yeah. <laughs> so look that up and enjoy it. It's one more corner of the weird-ass internet. Yay. All right, folks. Today we are covering The Legend of Zeron. Hooray. This is book... Yes, it is. Now, you read it about a week ago and then died. Yeah, I've I've been... Uh slowly wasting away yeah and uh i I can't remember anything (laughs) this is this might not be a great idea this entire show because i don't think you remember the first thing about the game uh i remember the first thing about this game which is that the book can eat my ass yeah why don't we start with that so let's let's talk about how uh the legend of xeron which uh is a book from around 2005 and uh written from a company called paragon games which is a white wolf offshoot so this is, uh, by, by hook or by crook, it is eventually a White Wolf property. Yeah. Uh, it, and uh, written by a guy named Michael Hawkabout. So uh, just getting all that out there. But why don't we start with what's most fun about The Legend of Zeron, which, by the way, I'm pronouncing it that way because it's spelled with one of those pointless fantasy apostrophes. Yep. Uh, it looks like it's, it's spelled with an accent mark on the R. So I, I, at first... Zeron! Yeah, I thought it was a rolling R, like The Legend of Zeron. <laughs> That's what we were looking for here. But no, it's it's Zeron. I don't know if you're supposed to give it a little glottal stop in there. Or, just a little glottal. Or if it's just the legend of Zeron. Come, like, come like on, normal. baby, just give it a little glottal. <laughs> just the tip? Just the tip of the glottal stop? Just, just a little glottal. <laughs> I don't do glottal for under 50 bucks. <laughs> I don't glottal on the first date. <laughs> so anyway, the legend of Zeron has what might be the worst layout of it, all time. It Basically, I think this rivals uh human occupied landfill for 
most unreadable book. I think actually I think there may be a three-way tie going on there because of Cyberworld. Uh Remember Cyberworld written entirely in caps? Yeah, but at least I could read it. Like it was black print on a white background and that's fine. <laughs> All right. So you had that much. So let's go through what what causes the failures of books when it comes to inventive layout and uh and book design. So Human Occupied Landfill of course is famous for being handwritten. Yeah. So the entire book is written like the liner notes of a mad magazine. Yeah, like if, and if there's thought, a whole bunch of like scratched out stuff and yeah. things scribbled on top of stuff. So like for example, if you enjoyed Sergio Aragonés's work in the in the margins of old mad magazines, then just read that. Yeah, do that instead because having it expanded to 300 pages of jokes is not a good call. Yeah. Uh oh, and then Cyberworld 2020 of course is written entirely in caps by someone who doesn't know what spelling is. Yep. So that was definitely a, a problem. And then finally, this one, and let's go through a couple of the uh, a couple of the lesser crimes of this game, shall we? Well, you open it up, and before you even get to the worst of it, you realize that there's a silver print that's a border around every page. Yes, and, and by silver print, what we mean is silver foil print. Yeah. So it's reflective. It's very reflective. Now, when you're first going through, you're like, oh, okay, well, that's kind of annoying, but whatever... At least it's just on the borders, but oh boy, boy howdy, are you in for a treat. Because eventually it becomes the watermark of the book. So, And there are a variety of watermarks throughout the book. Uh, there, are t- there are several types. For example, on the pages about the gods of this world, they have the gods logo, which is just like a, you know, a stylized, roony picture of, of each individual god's just head. Basically a Decepticon head. Yes, yeah, so like Decepticon heads, done in silver foil immediately behind the text. Yes. Now, now, in practice, what this means is that you can't read this book anywhere with a direct light source. You have to read this book under ambient light conditions, or else you're going to go snow blind. Oh, yeah. I, I was trying to read this book in my room with my overhead light. Every time, I would be like, oh, motherfuck. Uh. Yeah, I tried reading this in an outdoor cafe and just couldn't. <laughs> I tried sunglasses. That didn't help. It just made it so I couldn't read the text. Yep. Uh, and it's every page. It's every single page has something like that, even if it's just the borders <laughs> Every page has reflective foil beaming at you. Now, I, I got to say, I can't say for sure if that's every copy. We may have just gotten a foil rare. Oh, yeah. M- uh, the value of our book may be increased, as a matter of fact. Who knows? Yeah, there's, there's, just, there's just no way to, for sure. And, and again, I, I do want to say thanks to Mike for sending us this, this eye strain. Yeah, thanks. So that's, that's who sent this, this book was, uh, was Mike. And uh, thanks, Mike. We hate you. And uh, we'll let you know what our ophthalmology bills end up looking like. Well, the, the other thing is, in addition to the weird silver foil shit going on in this, uh, most chapters mm-hmm. are covered in the background of just, like, runic text. Yes, so that's, the, that's what I was talking about when I said that there's watermarks all the way through this book. It's runes, and they're just a little bit bigger than the text that's, that they're sitting behind, and they are often, you can tell they're supposed to be watermarked, you know, like a very light gray. They are not. No, it is... Like a like a mid gray mm-hmm. to the point where you're like, if you aren't really hyper focused on reading just the text, if you look at a page, you're like, that's a bunch of jumbled nonsense. There's no way to read this. I can't read. It looks like code. Oh it, yeah. It it looks like someone who had no recourse of, of a place in which to outlay their crazy took a piece of paper that was already fully written on and just kept writing on it. Like, the some of the pages, it's just like a middle strip across the page, mm-hmm. and some is the entire page covered in these background runes. Of varying degrees of darkness, 
which makes certain sections of this book simply illegible. So what that means, folks, is if we make critical errors throughout the course of describing the content of this book, or if we skip over something important, it's because I'd say about one in eight pages or so, I would open it up, I would look at it and go, I cannot read this. Oh, yeah. I'm a little too attention deficit to read this. I will keep trying to read those runes. Uh Uh-huh. Like... I don't even have that problem, but honestly, it took me about three times as long to get through a paragraph mm-hmm. with those runes in the background, because I'm just like, oh, god damn, I can't, uh So, those are the layout issues, and, and just to really drive home the foil issue, there are several pages where the book, the, the printer has fucked up, and the foil overlay that's supposed to be going into the watermark backgrounds is instead the last thing they printed in. Uh, such that the text is underneath a reflective foil surface. Yay. So you can just barely read it while you're slowly going blind, uh, if you want. Like, there's one, there's a god in particular, and I think it's Ka, the god, like the... the Possibly. The, the most recent god. His icon is a big ball with some fire coming off the top. Yeah, it's basically so just a fireball. So there's just a giant ball of silver foil right on the center of the page, printed over the description of what Ka the god is all about. Yeah, and you can you can make out that there is some black letters underneath that. Mm-hmm. But, man, you've got to really just eye-strain yourself to get that. So, that's, uh, that, that, I'd say that's the core issue. Now, speak, the, the book isn't all just bad runes and silver reflective foil, uh, which, you know, i got to say, here's the weirdest thing. This book had to be really expensive to generate. Like, putting reflective foil tape on every single, this is like a giant wedding invitation. Oh, yeah, and, and I mean, the fact that most pages are watermarked, Almost all of them have silver reflective shit on some part of it. Yeah. Like, this had to be expensive to, to make this big of a mistake. Yeah. So I feel kind of bad because, like, I, like I'm going to consistently say, this, the content of this book isn't terrible. No. It's really hard to read. It's got some challenging issues that are built into the storyline or the, or the mechanics, but it's a fine inventive game that is a pain in the ass to read. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a shame. I hope there's more editions of this that came out later that corrected some of those issues maybe they could trade in silver foil for color interiors that would have been nice yeah i mean just trying to get to the actual content of this book the book fights you every step of the way god yeah this book's mad at you for reading it i mean don't you read me the weird thing is like when you're going through the very beginning of the book has just some background information they're Mm -hmm. like here's just a very quick summary of like what the past of the world was what's going on and sort of where things are now Mm-hmm. And that doesn't have the watermark stuff on the pages. It's still got, like, the silver shit on the borders. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have the watermark. And then you get to character creation, and it's everywhere. Yeah. The point when you have to actually fully pay attention in order to play the game is just wall-to-wall nonsense just runes. background runes. And they are at the same le- height, and they're they're in the same orientation as the text on the page. It's It's just infuriating. Yeah. It's it's uh, I don't know I, I don't know what the heck happened. Maybe they were simply printed too dark. Like if they had been super super light, it would have been almost okay. Yeah. Even as it stands, weird almost letters are just not a good idea for a background watermark. They're way too distracting. Yes, especially if they are almost the same size as the text, like yeah. you were saying. Because if it's like one big rune, yeah, uh, a big rune or a couple like weird slashes on the page. Yeah, like okay, that's fine. I can deal with that, especially if it's of a light enough color. But this is like, this is like trying to read something that was printed on an old newspaper. Yeah. So okay, we've we've ripped on that. Here's the funny thing: the art in this book is fine. Oh yeah, like, no, the, the the guys they had for doing art in this, eh, is fine. Pretty good. Some of them are obvious Final Fantasy VI boss traces. I'll I'll say that, but 
you know, if I'm putting a book together and I'm paying artists to make me images and someone turns in a trace from a Final Fantasy boss, I'm not, I'm probably not going to know. Well, I mean, that guy also really liked himself some chocobos. Yeah, th- there's a ton of chocobos in the book and there's several, bo- like, NPCs or pictures of classes and stuff that are very obviously inspired by Final Fantasy or anime in one way or another. Uh, the book feels like it's a little too old for Full Metal Alchemist, but it's basically Full Metal Alchemist. Uh. Uh, so let's get into the actual content. Again, the art perfectly fine for black and white sketch art. So to get things started, there are about eight or nine stats that you get. Some of them are derived. Some of them are uh, are simply point by. The whole game uses a point by system with uh, like variant tiers of of power. So like a, a low level starting game, everyone gets like fifty points to spend. Yeah, it goes like fifty, seventy five, or a hundred. I think. Yes. Yeah, and and uh, they're called like heroic is the middle range legendary is the high range and then the low range is heroic which i I don't know maybe that's a i don't know i I don't know what that's supposed to be but i'm sure it has meaning and someone's going to explain it to us i'm sure so heroic would be the 50 point uh character game uh you get those points and you can spend them to buy your statistics uh which can range from one to ten or above ten if you're like a, a, a certain races and so on well your starting stats are going to depend on what race you pick. That's correct, yeah. And then you can buy bonus points into, into them. Uh, you're you're going to choose a race. You're going to choose several careers, because those are basically the skill packages of the system. Well, yeah, you're going to you're gonna have a, a race, a background, so yeah. like where you grew up. Yeah, because the game has like most of this book. I'd say 80% of this book is just exhaustive lists of countries over and over again. Yeah. Uh I mean, I think it's just that I was coming off of Fatal, but this is one of those books that should infuriate me, mm-hmm. but I didn't care that much. Yeah, I still can't believe, I think you were just too sick to get mad. Because I was just sick, and I had just read Fatal, and it was like, what is this, some horrible nonsense? All right, whatever, I don't care. Like, I was all right with this book, because the things about this book that, that would 100% infuriate you are the sort of things I don't care about. Like, uh... This book's word salad. It's a real nasty case of word salad. Like, oh, yeah. There are whole paragraphs of self-referential fantasy words. It'll be like, a character's Valdreir is limited by his Param Dujan, which, of course, if you're from Sarun, is different than if you are from Baliralal. And you're just like, what? What was all that? What, what was any of that? Oh, yeah. I mean, the the weird names for stuff mixed in with the constant i'm really trying to sell you on this fantasy world i made yeah and here's a ton of different countries and names for things well there's there's like 35 countries and the way he presents it is there's it goes like this first you pick your race there are five to pick from uh, and all of them have fantasy race names even though all of them are easily tracked to existing fantasy races oh yeah all of them are just like what did you want to play as from a fantasy race oh i want to be a dwarf all right you're you're not a dwarf. You're a a, a Dolinori. Dolinori. You're gonna give the book this. This one fully adopts our principle of dwarves should be Italians. Yes. R- right into the name because dwarves are called Dolinori, and that is a very Italian word. It's fun to say while holding your fingers together and shaking them. Yeah. Yeah. You go. I'm a I'm a Dolinori. Yeah. You can't you can't say that without like your hand reflexively going into that motion. Yeah. It's impossible. You also, in, in fact, all of the non-human races have that problem because the elves are called the uh, the the Zantari, the Zantari, the uh, the ogres that you can play as, which are like sort of they have weird brains that don't work the same way ours do. So let me just say, I like them. Yeah, the Goga- the, the Gogachi. Yeah, 
All the other ones are like, you can be a human or a dwarf or an elf or whatever. But when yeah. you get to uh, the Gogotch, the, the, the Gogotch, the, the weird like ogre guys that normally would be like, what are these? Oh, they're the, the big strong guys that are stupid. They're like, oh, no, they're not stupid. Their brains just process information differently such that it's really hard for them to learn other languages. So they come off as sounding very stupid because they'll only know like 50 words of a language. Mm -hmm. So they'll have to be like very basic speaking, but they're like genius mathematicians and engineers. Yeah, which unfortunately doesn't really play out in terms of the way that they exist in the world. I mean, the the concept of them is amazing because it's like, oh, they're like these eight foot tall ogres that seem dumb because they're always like, me want to go fireplace and stuff. But realistically, they're actually quite good at math and engineering, except that in the game, they live on, like, the equivalent of Hawaii, and their their culture their, has only advanced to the point where they can make armor. That's all they have going on. Well, yeah, they're, they're basically like, we hang out near a volcano and make a whole bunch of awesome stuff in this forge. Yeah, uh, they're, they're like genius cavemen. Like, the world's smartest cavemen <laughs> is, is what you get out of them. It'd be really cool if they were like, oh, no, everyone thinks they're dumb because they want to go school, but... Like, you know, they're actually building really cool cars and airplanes and stuff. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen. They're they're like, no, we build good clubs and, and big armor. Yeah, I so. mean, you can be like, well, I'm one of these guys not from the main island or whatever. Yeah, but the book doesn't... It's got that... I've said this before about other games, but it's got that case of racial tourism issue where it's like, there are 35 countries in this game. Uh, 33 of them are for humans, and then there's one each for the races. Huh. Uh, so let's go through these. We got the Dolinori, which are dwarves, and there's very little to be said about them. They're like the Iron Kingdom dwarves, which is that they have assimilated fairly well with humans by comparison to the other races. Yeah. Uh, they don't all grow huge beards. Uh, they're just short, squat, good, en- good at engineering and mining. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's basically it. They're fairly standard dwarves. They're probably the most uh, playable. Play well, the most playable of the weird non-human ones because. Mm-hmm. Instead of, like, everyone else has, like, here's the one country where we're found. Yeah. They're like, oh, we're we're all over the place with humans. Yeah, there's a lot of human countries where there's a dwarf enclave, or Dolinori enclave. Also, I guess we should probably stop saying humans now, because this, oh, book, yeah. this book has to give you a fantasy word for humans, which is in, in, not a very good word. I'm, I'm going to say it. It's Ioner? 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 Yeah, it's I thought there, for some reason, every time I read it, I thought there was an L and it was Ilaner. See, I thought it, at first I thought it was Ileana's, and I was like, oh, I got a friend named that. But See, no, it's... I was thinking Ilaner, which is from uh, Wheel of Time. Oh, okay. But no, it's it's Ianer. Yeah, it's, like, it's more Ian than someone else. Yeah, you think you're pretty Ian? Guy from Anthrax? You ain't shit. I'm the most Ian. I'm the Ianist. Yeah, well, you're not. You're an Ianer. I'm just an Ianer, but I'm the Ianist Ianer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there's a guy named Ian in Anthrax. I cannot remember. Maybe. I don't know. I can't think of any other famous Ians off the top of my head. Famous there's, Ians. Well, there's there's uh, Ian Jeering. <laughs> Ian Michael Cummings. Yeah, Ian Michael Cummings. Yeah, Ian. You you know that famous <laughs> actor slash comedian, Ian yeah. Michael Cummings? Yeah, and Ian Michael Hall, the uh, the guy from all those those 80s movies. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm up to speed with you here. You also got Ian Goldblum. Uh, I think he was in, no wait, that was his character, Dr. Jeff Malcolm from, uh, yeah. from Jurassic Park, of course. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, God. Anyway, uh, Ianers. So that's going to be fun to say, and I have no idea how you're supposed to pronounce it. Um, I, I imagine it's probably supposed to be either Ianers, or maybe, or e- e- because Ian or just is just doesn't roll off the tongue. I'm going to go ahead and say this as well. 
with my general pet peeve of bullshit fantasy names for mm-hmm. stuff, if you have just just a, a pronunciation guide somewhere very easily accessible, you can either do it right after the first time you uh, introduce that. Mm-hmm. So if you're like, these are the Ianer, and you're like, here's a pronunciation guide. And then from the rest on, you don't do that. Or if in the back of the book, you're like, here's our dumb bullshit words and how you say them. I yeah. would feel slightly better about it. Yeah, I, I guess I could, too. I mean, notably, that's just because I, I used to get in huge fights back in middle school about drow versus dro. I have, a li- until recently, I've never heard anyone say dro. Uh, yeah, I've seen people say dro constantly. And the funny thing is, I know dro is wrong because I own the Menzo Berenson box set from second edition, which actually has the exact pronunciation guide I wanted. Yeah. So I know it's drow because it says it rhymes with cow. Huh. It doesn't rhyme with co. <laughs> huh. So uh, so anyway, but I've, I've had that problem for forever. And that is a problem that across fantasy universes drives me insane. Yeah. Like, have you ever had to play 40K with a guy who can't, like, especially guys with IG armies who don't know what a chimera is? Huh. And they're like, all right, so this chimera comes up here. And I'm like, chimera? <laughs> this shit, are you reciting Mary Poppins lyrics? What the fuck, man? <laughs> it's a chimera. It's a CH. It's a chimera. It's named after a monster. It's like a real. It's like, an actual thing. It's a thing. It's not a chimera. It's, and that is. I can't play against people in uh, in 40K specifically because of that. Yeah. Um, people call them Valkyries, Valkyries. Oh, yeah, the Valkyrie. I've seen that happen a couple of times. I'm yeah. trying to think of more of them off the top of my head. I've seen, I've seen Hid- Hydra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I would like that. If the you're, Lemon Russ. If you're, if you're dumb, goofy bullshit, just give me a clue on how to say that. Or here's, here's how the pronunciation guide for this one should have worked. Ianer, and then in parentheses, human. Huh. <laughs> Who are we kidding? Come on. Just you're, say You're never going to say Ianer. <laughs> no one says Ianer. Sorry. That's what it should have said. Oops. Dolinori. Dwarf. For sure. For and sure the, dwarf. And then the one that we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, Neoli. Which, try and say that and not think of a pasta. <laughs> like, like, I'll have a Neoli with, with uh, Arabiata sauce. Oh, sorry. No, I'm sorry. There's some sort of beast man race. Yeah, they're, the, they're... the... I think I was just calling him Noli. Yeah, they're Noli. They are a little Noli. They're got, a little Noli. They've got a touch of the hogger. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> they are your... They're anime feral, beast people. Yeah, they're they're feral people that are just like, what do you have? Slight animal characteristics. We got claws, we got teeth, we're a little furry, but not so much that we're actual animals. Yeah, enough that we're sexy to people who are into that sort of thing. Yeah, we are, we are anthro enough that you can get away with it. Yeah. Yeah, so they're anime beast people. Um, they're funny because you see the art of them, and the art is always just people. Because it's all sketch-style art, you can't even tell that they're furry. They're just big-eared people with Naruto lines on their faces and sharp oh. fingers. Yeah. And then it's always like, these are the ultimate predators. And I'm like, I don't feel like some sh- like some mope in a, in a loincloth is the ultimate predator. I feel like that's going to be a wolf or something. You know, something <laughs> fast. Well, they're fast. I guess they, they must be super fast. So fast. Anyway, they live in a in a land called Neol. Yeah, and it's like jungles and shit. It's just some jungles and there's some Neolis in there. Yeah. And some Ravi Neolis. Ah, uh, yeah, some potato Neoli. Yeah, I got them potato Neoli, which are just like other Neoli except that instead of being half beast, they're half potato. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then mine, the Ravnioli, which are like Magic the Gathering ones. <laughs> oh, Ravnioli. <laughs> So, and then Zentari again are elves, and the elves in this universe are uh, actually immortal, as in every one of them that exists in the world has been there since the dawn of the world. Yeah, they're uh, the gods made them, mm-hmm. and then they in turn were just like, 
hey, we're crazy, powerful demigods, and we've, like, created worlds and shit. And so the gods went, all right, we're going to create a planet for you to hang out on then. Mm -hmm. And so that's the only reason that this planet exists, is the gods wanted a place to put elves. And then they did. They gave the elves one little island nation, and then they also created 35 extra nations for humans. I'm sorry, Eanners to live in. I'm going to pronounce it like a redneck. Eanners. I love that... The elves in this are basically like weird tourists mm-hmm. where they're just like, what happens? Oh, some elf will decide they want to leave their home country and go dick around with like the other races. And then when they do, they don't know anything about the elf lands or anything while they're out to make sure that the elf lands stay private. It's so weird because yeah. you're like, oh, you're like an all powerful demigod. But when you leave the elf land, you're like, I'm just some schmuck. I'm just some guy. I'm just this fucking guy, you know? And I, li- I work on the same fucking airplane tramp steamer as you do, and whatever. And when people ask me about Elf Town, I'm like, uh, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, That's- it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's the sort of thing where it's it's the sort of thing that would work for an adventuring party writ large as a cultural thing, and it doesn't end up working. It's like, no elf ever has ever been willing to talk about their homeland. Anyone who ever tries to go to the elf homeland wakes up nearby having failed to go there. And I'm like... Yeah, but there are billions of people. This would be a great storyline if you were like, four people tried to go there, and none could speak of it. But if you were like, oh, instead, there are 35 nearby nations with airplanes, and none of them have ever been able to figure it out either. Well, if you get to the point where you're like, oh yeah, they sent an army in there, all of them awoke outside of the territory, and there was a little note that said, don't fuck with us. Yeah. At that point, most nations would be like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's not deal with that. I know, especially, well, they don't, they don't want to mess with you, so I guess it's okay. Yeah. So those are the races. Now, as I was trying to put together the layout of, the, of how the book rolls, you pick your race. Then you go and pick what country you're from. And as I've mentioned several times, the, this book is chock full of countries. Yeah, um, I mean, if you're an elf, you have to be from Elfland. Yeah, and if you're a Neoli, you have to be from, from uh, Neoli land. Yeah. You have to be from Chef Boyar Neoli or whatever <laughs> yeah. it is. Uh, if you're Dolinori, you can be from just about anywhere. Yeah, the the Ianer and the Dolinori have a very wide range of places they can be from. So many that by the time you finish reading them, you've forgotten all the ones at the start. And that's th- that's kind of the problem. There are so many countries in this book that you can't hold them all in your head. Yeah, I mean, you basically go, all right, I know all the like homelands for the weird races. You're like, okay. Fucking ogre homeland, got it. Elf homeland, got it. Yeah, the ogres are from the fire reaches, which yeah. sound like they're going to be this huge, cool place, but then they're like the one of the islands of Hawaii in terms of size. Yeah, and then you go, all right, there's also evil empire, there's little like three, evil empire. Yeah, military evil <laughs> empire. Yeah, there's like magic evil empire, yeah. military evil empire, small evil empire yeah. with assassins. And that one's full of thieves. Yeah. So, okay, let's break those down real quick. They, they are ruled by what are called Fane. And Fane are sort of mutant humans that have superpowers. Uh, they were common thousands of years ago. Now they are very rare. Um, and by common, I mean there were like more than 12. Yeah. Uh, so the Fane, the Fane managed to take over most of the world, and then one good Fane helped uh, defeat them. While there are still several around, all the evil empires are ruled by evil Fane. Yeah, you've got your main bad guy Fane, and then a His few is, like underlings for him. Yeah, so, he, so he's Mercule. Yeah, Mercule the Fane, is, he rules the, I forget what his, his country is called, because there's too many countries. Uh, he he rules an army of Shadekin, which are the big villains of this game. They are they are people whose shadows have been absorbed into themselves, and they turn into anime zombies. Huh. Um, then there's nearby Cyrune, which is the uh, the thieves' country, and it's also ruled by a Fane, a fat Fane, 
uh, who, who's like the fan of gluttony or whatever. Big fat fan of idiocy. Yeah, and he's all like, Bleh, you guys should do whatever you want. And, and so he's basically like the Ray Winstone of fans. Huh. Oi, I'm Ray Winstone, I am. Go ahead and rob people, what, what. That's, that's pretty much what he does. Good. Uh, and then you've got the Voivod, which is the military general of, of evil military fane. And he rules his own country, uh, Ayanu Voss. No, Ayanu Voss is good people. I can't remember all these names. No. They, they aren't staying in my head. Uh, Voivod rules his own country. It's the evil military country. Yep. Uh, and then there are a whole bunch of good guy countries. Like, and there's a big treaty yeah. that was basically set up by good guy fane. Yeah, Ka, the good guy fane. Um, so that, that covers countries like Odyssea, Valinos, uh, Balinor, uh, Ayanu Voss. Uh, Merketh. Uh, I could just. I there, there's so many of these. There's no way I and, would be able to keep these stupid names in my head. And here's here's the problem with the layout of this. Because again, these these countries sound interesting. They make for good setting stuff. It's like it's kind of like if the core book of Dungeons and Dragons also include included all of the setting of the Forgotten Realms in it. Yeah, is what you end up. Re- you're like I can't hold all this in my head. What the Thay? What the shit is that? I, I how do I make it? How do I just make a guy? How do I make a guy? You have to pick if he's from the Sword Coast or the uh, the Moonshays. Yeah, I, I can't. I don't. What? I don't give any fuck. It's it's. I mean, the problem is it's a good story. I would give several fucks if this was two different books. I guess. I maybe. Yeah the the setting information in this is too much. So ingrained into how you make a character as well that you can't be like, okay, I'm gonna make a dude. This is my idea for him, and then I'm gonna look through uh, some of the like information in this. Try to find something that sounds cool, and then I'll read up on that. You have to read up on everything because you're like, all right, well, I have to pick what country he's from. I have to pick what occupations he's had in this country. And even the occupations will have some weird names for shit like that. Yeah. So, like I was saying with the layout, you pick your race, you pick the country you're from. Now, picking the country you're from means going through about 20 pages of rune-backed-up descriptions, one paragraph each, of every single country in the game. Each one of them has a feat that your character gets for picking just with the race. Oh, no, it's not a feat. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I was about to let you tell me what it's actually called, even though I'm seeing you look it up because you forgot that it's a Valdreer. Yeah, the Valdreer is... You get a whole bunch of Valdreer, and they are feats. Or uh, you benefits. Get a- they're, they're, either, they're somewhere between the feat of 3rd edition D&D and the benefit slash drawback of every other game ever. Yeah. Because you get, like, all your racial ones, you get a racial Valdrier. Yeah. And then you get, like, a country Valdrier. And then you get occasionally Valdrier based on, like, if you picked a specific, like, occupation or whatever. So you pick through all these countries. They tell you what language you have to speak. And just to make it it clear that this is one of those things that's annoying in role-playing games, there are 30-odd countries in this game, not one shared language. Oh, there is a shared language. Oh, yeah, there's one that pretty much everyone speaks. And then after that, it's like everyone speaks. Are you from Cyrun? You speak Cyruni. Are you from Ayanu Voss? You speak Ayanu Vossen. Now, the the weird thing with that is, so we had already mentioned that the game breaks things down into, like, you have beginner and advanced and expert and whatever. Yeah. Like, that's your tiers for your skills. That's your tiers for your your aptitudes. Yeah. We haven't even and talked about aptitudes, by no, the way. That's an interesting mechanic. It's also the tiers for how rare a language is. Oh, yeah, because this game uses Magic the Gathering-style card rarities for everything. Oh, yeah, that that four-tier how difficult slash how rare is everything in this. So it's things like 
A camera, for example, in the equipment section is listed with a C by its name because cameras are common and easy to purchase. You could have a camera if you wanted to. Yeah, whereas a rope is listed by you or uncommon. Uh, I don't know why ropes are less common than cameras. I, maybe it's just because this is a sort of modern setting. Who knows? Um, anyway, but but uh, that that does things like control the the availability of the item in individual small markets and also tell you what the prices are. Well, yeah, because you're also going to, rather than have like, you've got, you know, 10,000 credits and you can buy equipment with that. It's like, you have like six uncommon and ten common and one like rare item. Yeah, so you can do and you can that break way. that down. So it's like uh, every like if you double it, you get to the next level. So mm-hmm. if you've got two uncommon, you can get a rare and like two rare get you a very, a very rare. rare. Yeah, I mean it's neat. It leads to some interesting things. It lets them have cool stuff on the market that's just very expensive. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's not like it's a problem. It, it, it's just weirdly unintuitive when you first look at it. The money in this game is also fascinating because it's magic money. Yeah, so it's called flats. And the way it works is every piece, every piece of money you have is like a coin, uh, and if you take two of the same coin and push them near each other, they flip into a single coin of the v- denomination of the two coins that they were. And then if you flick it, it turns back into two coins. Yeah, you can if you need smaller denominations, you just sort of hit the coin and it splits. Yeah, which I, I thought that was very clever, especially for a game where it's not important. Like you still, like we were saying, you buy equipment in this game based on that common, uncommon, rare thing. It's just a little cool, cool piece of fluff about the world. Yeah, they're like, there's, an in- of course, there's one of those countries that's just all wizards. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we created this entire system of, like, coinage that's based on magic. Yeah, I thought that was very clever. I, I really like that. Let's talk very quickly about... Um, you want to do the aptitudes? Yeah, let's talk about aptitudes. We talked very briefly about what stats is uh, and how they just range from 1 to 10. And you, you don't roll them or anything. They are picked by the race you choose. Yeah, so, I mean, that's sort of your standard RPG fare. Yeah. Aptitudes are your capacity to learn and use skills. Yeah. And there are three of them, and they range in number from one to five. Uh, and your aptitudes are broken down into... Uh, knowledge. Think, knowledge. Personal and social. Personal and social, and each skill has one of those category types as well. Uh, and then each skill... Um, there, there, here's one of the things that's sort of an issue with the game. Things are too broken down. Because uh, yeah. a skill has here's here's the things that set up a skill. A skill is divided into the aptitudes, so it's either knowledge, social, or personal. It's then divided into a talent ranking, uh, which goes basic, advanced, expert, elite. Yeah. And then within that talent ranking, it has a practice stat, which is the plus number that you have uh, added to it as well. Well, yeah. So well, can- it's sort of like having the a specialty, like in Exalted or anything else, where you're like, okay, I'm base level you know, advanced in fencing, whatever. Like, I can use a sword, but then I'm also very practiced in it, so my technique isn't a higher level, Mm -hmm. but I've practiced enough that I get a bonus whatever my practice level is. I mean, to to give you an example of what I mean by, and this is just going to be brief, I don't want to dive into this for the rest of the, because we got a lot to talk about. To give you an idea of how this game is a little too granular and broken down, your character has hit points, but your character's leg also has hit points, and your character's leg's hit points have hit points. (laughs) That's a, that's real. That's that's an actual thing that's in this book. So anyway, you pick these these aptitudes out, and they give you the capacity you have to learn additional skills, to I- increase the skills that you already have, and they factor into your rolling. So like, let's say you just want to open a door using a lockpick skill. You're going to look at your lockpick skill. You're going to add the value of practice that you have in lockpick to your aptitude, and then add that to one of your substats, which I think is your reaction. Uh, so you're going to add uh, whatever the relevant stat is, plus aptitude, 
plus skill rank plus skill practice number. Well, the the aptitude I think is just you your how high you can go in the skill. So it's just skill rank plus uh, practice plus a D ten. No, it definitely includes aptitude as well because that's how the combat system works as well. It's reaction plus aptitude plus skill level uh, compared against target defense number. Yeah. Trust me, I read it this morning. <laughs> well, maybe for <laughs> combat. <laughs> so aptitudes are important. They they only go in rank from 1 to 5, where stats go in rank from 1 to 10, so they advance very slowly. Every character starts with a 1 in all of their aptitudes, and then their, their uh, primary and then a bonus career, 1 in something. Yeah. Yes, and then their primary origin will give them a bonus 1 in one of the other ones. It'll be like, are you from the evil land of Cyrun? Then you get a, a 1 in everything, and then a, an additional 1 in either social or self. Yeah. Uh, and then your primary career can sometimes, or I'm sorry, they always do, give you free aptitude increases you can use to increase your various aptitudes. Yeah. So, like, uh, you can say things like, I'm a Balinorian tramp steamer pilot. So I get two dots in aptitude to I place wherever I want. steaming all these tramps. <laughs> well, no, you're also a pilot. So I guess you're just the first Balinorian tramp steamer pilot? Yeah. yeah I'm the pilot of Balinorian. <laughs> Illinoisian tramp steamers. No one else has <laughs> steamed these tramps. We'll see if I get picked up by the network. <laughs> uh, God, so careers cost points. Like we were saying earlier, you get 75 points for character creation. So, for example, if you want to play as a, uh, a I don't know, a Makeshi tribal shaman, and the reason I say well, it's I all don't... Just, it's all just skill packages, it's like just you would packages, in other games. But there are like 50 of them, divided up by region. Oh, yeah. And then also a huge block of universal ones, in case you have extra points left over. Well, yeah. Well, especially if you're like, oh, I decided I was from whatever region, mm. but they don't have a specific thing towards whatever dumb thing I want to do. If you're just like, look, I want some very generic, like army thing like, okay great i don't want to specifically be in like this country's weird army because some of them are like the you have to be in the weird ultramarines of this land and then you go and have to serve for 20 years as a whatever and you're like i don't want to do that i just want generic like weapons and armor so, so you can pick army guy from the army guy package but it's it's definitively worse oh yeah so you always want to start with a real career from the real place that you're from uh, and Eoner, by the way, can always one of their racial Valdrayer, which oh my god, I just said Eoner's racial Valdrayer. Blech. <laughs> All right, stupid Joe Rune esque <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> their thing is that they get to pick careers from like countries that they are not from because they are the most adaptable. Yeah, they're like, oh well, you know, my country is next to whatever other country, and I'm a human, so I'm cool like that. Yeah. So you get to pick. Uh, it'll give you some uh, some skills. You can only pick skills in things that that the aptitude gives you a bonus to from that career. So, like, if a, a career is like, hey, this career give, makes you very good at uh, your knowledge aptitude, then you can pick knowledge skills from it. Well, it'll, it'll give you a breakdown of, like, which skills here, you can take. Here are the skills you can take. And you can only take, like, one point in each one of the skills from them unless it says times two in there. Yeah. So if it's like this... Uh, particular career is yeah. all about whatever, then it might let you spend two. Yeah. So like Balinorian Tramp Pilot, by the for example, gives you a two in pilot that you're yeah. allowed to take. Which, given that the, like, how high up you can go in a skill is up to, like, a rank five, mm -hmm. the fact that you could get only up to plus two in a skill isn't like, oh, man, that's terrible, because you're only ever going to get a like level five in a skill yeah and it uses the uh that expert adept level uh that that control 
of that heroic tyroic thing we were talking about earlier to uh, control what maximum aptitudes people can get to. So a starting character can't get above like tier three in any given skill anyway. Yeah. No matter how much you mess with your careers. So it tries to keep starting characters fairly balanced. Yeah. Uh, so each one gives you a selection of skills, a number of years it, it takes you to have this career, because every one of the countries of origin gives you, we didn't, I didn't mention this, countries of origin give you the following things. Your starting age. Which is super weird. Yeah. You don't get to control that. It's like, are you from Cyrune? You're 14. Uh, well, but then like you add your you, careers to it. You're, you come of age at whatever age, and then you just add years on to whatever. Yeah, you add years based on the careers you took. Also, it controls the uh, the country of origin controls your skin color, hair color, eye color. Uh, so those are all things that are taken care of in there for you. Uh, and if the country is a country where the rate or a race is from, like if you choose to be from Neol, so you're definitely a Neoki, then uh, then it's like see the Neoki racial description, and you don't have to like read it again. Uh, Neoli, not Neoki. <laughs> oh, did I say Neoki? Yes. Oh, I'm so sorry. I meant to say Ravnioli. Yeah. So thank uh, you. <laughs> so. Uh, like I was saying, each one of them gives you some skills. Skills, we've talked about how they work. I know the only thing worth mentioning about skills is whether or not the seduction skill passes the test. This book's from 2005. It does. Uh, it passes it by saying you can use the seduction skill to c- uh, convince members of the opposite sex, parentheses, or members of the same sex, to do whatever you want. I'm going to let that slide by as a pass, only by, but stop to point out that it's unreasonably pedantic to point that out. You could just skip the whole thing and say, you can use this to trick people to you seduce into doing what you want. Yeah. You don't need to be like, sometimes there's gay people. Like, we know. Everyone knows. Everyone we, knows there's we gay people. We, everyone's up to speed on, on gay people and how they work. Come on, Actually, man. I'm sorry. Most Will of and the- Grace is on TV yeah. right now. We get it. It's 2005. Queer Eye for the Straight Guy is at the height of its power. I mean, granted, that means you're used to TV gay people, so they don't seduce anyone. Huh. They just make comments on how straight men look like weed-headed Oregon cavemen. <laughs> But I mean, oh God! Look at this wine selection. Says a gay person, I'll definitely never seduce anyone. But if a woman near me is going through a breakup, I'll be the first to be there with ice cream. Uh, uh. Anyway, so it kind of passes the seduction. I, I, I'm going to say it's a it's a pass. Yeah, sure. All right, there you go. Good job, game. And then you get you can pick some negative Valdrier to get some points, and then spend extra character points on other ones on because positive it, Valdrier. Yeah, yeah, because it it fills that feats and bonus points well, and merits and flaws and whatever. This is a thing that I, I was kind of turned off by because the the first couple of Valdrear, which by the way the book tells you it's using that word because it doesn't have a direct translation into English. Yeah. It's like it's like this is the thing that makes you special. That's what Valdrear means. And I'm like, so it's a feat? Nope, it's a Valdrear, the thing that makes you special. It's the thing that makes you you. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, it the uh, the Valdrier you can pick from at the very beginning, the racial Valdrier and the country of origin ones, are actually unique, interesting powers that de- delineate your character. Like uh, the Gogach, for example, the ogre people, their Valdrier for a race is that they can play this game of stones, and if they play it for like 10 minutes, then they get a cool plus 5 bonus on their next skill check they do. Which is huge. Because, yeah, it's a huge bonus, and it's because they spend a lot of time organizing their mind before they make the next skill. I yeah, they just sit there playing the game, and the game is... Super mathematically complicated, yeah. and by doing it, they're like, "All right, I've I've managed to get my thoughts in order. I can do this." I've limbered up my old brain meat, and each one of the races gets an equally cool sort of thing that defines the car- the, cl- the race. Yeah, like elves get a special magic sword. Yeah, they get a magic sword, I guess. But <laughs> then when you get to the Valdrier section, every Valdrier is like, "You are plus two to punching. You are you- big. Yeah, you are big. So you get a plus one to grapple checks." 
you are cowardly, so you get a minus one on fear rolls. Oh yeah, all the all the Valdrier you can buy that aren't specific to a thing are just your very basic merit flaw. Th- they're comically boring. Yeah. So moving past that, um, so there you go. Uh, you pick the skill package. You you write down your skills, and for the most part, at that point, you're done. Uh, the books. Yeah. Any uh, of the points, your character creation points, you don't spend, just become XP and. Honestly, I think you spend XP the exact same way you do character points, so it doesn't really matter. It just means you'd like to develop your character a little more after you see how the game plays out. Yeah, like maybe you're looking at something you're like, what I actually really want is to get another point in this, but I don't quite have enough left. Or I'll just bank these. You don't qualify for it yet because you're not at that tier of power in the game. Oh yeah, you're like, well, I can't start with a four in something, but I really want one, so I'll just bank these points and save it for later. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. Now, we haven't talked yet about how this game has mages, but oh, I want to go through the book in order, and after the section where you choose your Valdrier and your skills, we list all the countries again. Yeah, we have to go right back into all the countries and all of their various politics. And, and to be clear, this is the third time we've listed all the countries in order, because the first time we do it so you can see what all the languages are, and then the second time we do it so you can pick which one your grace is from, and then the third one is just a list of countries and what's going on in them. And it, again, it's just there's so many countries that this is the entire middle two-thirds of the book is just this exhausted list of list of countries over and over again yeah and they're interesting i mean don't get me wrong these countries are cool they have interesting interactions with each other there's neat stuff happen i love the setting of this world which well, we haven't even I really think talked that's about. why i wasn't as upset as the yeah. at the stupid names is like the sky realms of jorun thing it was a boring stupid setting and it had a whole bunch of stupid names for everything and i was just angry <laughs> yeah whereas this i'm like okay this is a setting i could play and it's basically like playing in a Final Fantasy game. Yeah, you just I mean, have a little too much information here. Yeah, that's it's it's like the difference between playing Final Fantasy VI, which is a great game, and Final Fantasy XII, where they had finally bogged down to the point where every even the cool Han Solo character in Final Fantasy XII at Balthier is just like, well, what I think about politics is the following 15 paragraphs of boring recited dialogue. Yeah. Now let's go have an unsatisfying combat. Oh, God, I fucking hate that game so much. It's just so sad. Balthier is supposed to be so cool, and he's just standing there going like, so anyway, th- another thing that sucks about the Ivalice trade policies is, he's like, what is this? is the fucking phantom menace of, of Final Fantasy games. Yes. Remember that about how, like, Return of the Jedi was about rad space battles and dumb teddy bears? And then fan- and then phantom menace is about trade tariffs? Yes. Yeah, that's what Final Fantasy twelve is. Yeah, I went from all of these games, and I was like, dude, this is great. I went from, like, 10 and 10-2 being like, oh, man, this is fun. And then you get into 12, and it's like, oh, I don't fucking care about any of this. It's it's even worse because it's set in the same world as Final Fantasy Tactics. Yeah, and Tactics was amazing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, cool. Oh, wait, no. No, the opposite of that. I don't even think it's technically set in the same world. I think Final Fantasy Tactics just has a name that they decide to adopt. So Ivalice just becomes the latest Chocobo or Sid or Moogle <laughs> or whatever. The thing that's in every single game. Nah, man. Nah. It's all a cohesive world. <laughs> sure. Okay, it certainly is a cohesive, boring-ass world. It certainly is. Uh, anyway, um, getting back to it. Uh, so, shit, what were we talking about before we went on this tangent about uh, We were talking about the, the countries and what's coming in the book. Oh, yeah, we also have to talk about the gods. Yeah, I don't remember a single god. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and say that. Okay, There's... so, well, let me just say this. The gods, there were seven gods. They yeah. created everything. Okay. Uh, the big event in this book is that humanity got all fucked up and stupid mm-hmm. and started fighting each other, and then everyone on the planet simultaneously 
had a vision of seven empty thrones, and everybody understood that the gods had just sort of abandoned them. Yes. Which plunged the world into, like, chaos for a while. Yes. Because everyone was like, oh, the, like, the gods used to, like, come down and hang out and be like, hey, it looks like you're doing some gardening. I'm the god of gardens, and I'll give you a hand. But now they're like, no, fuck you, humanity, we're out. Yeah. And so... But they still, like, work for rune mages and stuff, so... Yeah, which is the weird thing, because yeah. you, you get through that, and you're like, oh, it's a world abandoned by their gods, like, that's a weird, cool sort of background yeah, information. Yeah, because it happened, like, a thousand years ago, so now it's this whole thing of, like, everyone in the world knows the gods are gone, how does how does morality work in a world where everyone knows religion isn't a function? Well, there are like, still religions that are, like, we, like, either... Uh, worship the idea of these gods. So it's like, oh, this god represents this ideal. Yeah. And so our religion is based around that, less the actual like reverence of the god itself rather than what it represents. Yeah. So that I mean, again, though, that's just sort of a, a an examination of morality and religion in a world where everyone knows the gods took off. Yeah. And it's sort of a neat thing. But then you get to how rune magic, which is the core spellcasting system of the game, works, and it's <laughs> like. When you learn three greater runes from a spell, you will receive a vision gift from the god of that type of spell who will give you two additional runes. I'm like, isn't he gone? Well, the big thing with that is the so all the rune magic stuff is just broken up into the various gods. So you get rune magic from like, like war any god and yeah, any of the gods. So it's like I'm the god of creation. So you get like creation spells and shit. Yeah. Or I'm the god of fire, and here's fire-based whatever. That's Aroi, the god of energy. Yeah. But the the fact that you can get to the point where you're like, oh yeah, I got three greater runes, and then I have a vision of that god giving me more runes. Mm -hmm. At that point, you'd think, because it's not like rune magic is rare. No, it's super common. But, but uh, advanced rune magic, which is the kind that's actually tied into the seven gods, is quite rare. You have yeah. to be like super good at it to be. It's it's like the difference between like small god doodle bugging your house up with little lesser hexes and shit type, like uh, small magic versus yeah. like I'm straight up a wizard in a robe. Like there's a difference. Oh yeah, it, the difference between like I'm the village wise woman and I've got some like herbs and whatever and I'll heal you. Well, one of the things I love about this setting is that magic is super common and is has become just an industry. Like, people go to school, learn wizardry, stop there because that's all they need to do to get a job in the local shipyards, and they're local ship's wizard, and they cast joining spells on, on two beams and stick them together. Yeah. And and that's cool. If you want to go above and beyond that, so you can be like a rad adventurer or a leader or something. Yeah, I'm a super wizard. Then you go up to that advanced sphere, and at that point, you start interacting directly with the gods. But even at that point, you'd think someone would go, oh, hey, the gods are still out there. They just think that we're douchebags or something. Yeah. So, anyway, so there's these seven gods... I can remember, like, three of them. There's Param, the god of war. The thing is, I can remember most of what they are. I just can't remember their names because they have yeah. ridiculous fantasy names. Va Va'an, the god of all. Aroy, the god of energy. Brondluir, <laughs> the god of nature or uh, death. I forget which one he is. It's The it, it, thing is, their pages that tell you what they're all about <laughs> are the hardest to read pages in the book because of the aforementioned layout issue. Yeah, the giant silver Decepticon heads behind every one of them. Yeah, but it's usually it's a uh, each god sort of has a twin. So you're like, I'm the god of making stuff. I'm the god of destroying stuff. I'm yeah. the god of peace. I'm the god of war. Okay, great. I'm the god of chunky peanut butter. <laughs> I'm the god of right thinking people. <laughs> Fuck you, <laughs> chunky <laughs> chunky peanut butter <laughs> is delicious, <laughs> and you're dumb. <laughs> Flipping you off. Why not that? You just don't like chunky peanut butter because you have shit milk butter teeth. <laughs> milk 
butter teeth. That's right. That's what I'm saying. Your teeth are soft and shitty, like like, like butter that's been left butter. out. Like milk butter. I like you milk know. steak. That's what I'm trying to say here. You've yeah. had milk steak teeth. <laughs> if you had good American crunch teeth, you'd like crunchy peanut butter like a right-thinking American. Like little goblins. They get you. That's what I'm trying to say here. You are like the Charlie of teeth having. And for the record, there's a whole episode where Charlie just takes his teeth out during the whole thing. Great. So that's that's you. That's me. Yeah. That's that's why Good. you don't like chunky peanut butter. Uh. You, you crap man. <laughs> uh. We've done this poll already, and chunky peanut butter won handily. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> anyway, uh, so there are two types of magic in the world. Uh, rune magic, which is the most common. And again, like I mentioned, it's like... It's it's hit the point of commonality in the world where it's industrial. Like you go, oh, I want to be a, a rune mage when I grow up, but only enough so I can get a job recharging light bulbs around the country. Oh yeah, you're like, I'm gonna go specifically to the school that teaches me shit from this god's runes, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, I'm gonna go to the god of energy. Yeah. All right, all I do is just make energy shit. I'm just battery guy. Yeah. That's and it's it's a viable career you can choose. Yeah. So I think that's really cool. The other type is shadow magic, uh, which is. The bad guy magic, I mean, you can be a good guy who uses it, but let's face it, it's evil anime magic. It's all like shooting tendrils of dark energy at things and sucking the life out of people and jumping into your own shadow. It's Yeah, I mean, it's it's shadow magic, and when you hear shadow magic, you're like, oh, that shadow sounds like magic. bad guy. I just hear the song. I hear Shadow Dancer in my head every time. Oh, I Shadow Dancer? I was like, there's a song called Shadow Magic? What? I'm sure there's also a song called Shadow Magic, but no, I hear Shadow Dancer in my head instead. <laughs> every time I read it, I'm like, Shadow Magic. Every time I see it, I just think, I'll take Shadow Stevens for the block. Oh, <laughs> uh, there's a reference that like half of our listeners aren't going to get. God damn it. Are we really going down that road? Oh, yeah. Are I'm we... not even going to explain it. <laughs> Fuck you. We you have... figure it out. We're in Hollywood Squares territory Oh, you're right explaining now. it. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it i, I just pe- had to show people that i'm in on it i, I just wanted people to google shadow stevens <laughs> oh man i'm gonna take uh courage the cowardly dog for 300 and then have him go over to the next square and hump like bruce valanche thank you <laughs> oh bruce valanche <laughs> all right so um we got a lot to talk about still so let's push through here uh like we said there are two types of magic i still kind of wanted people to understand the tone of the game uh, it's a world where magic and technology are both very common and very accessible. There are airplanes, there are boats, there are cars, there are trains, there are wizards. There are not hospitals, specifically because healing magic is so pervasive. So why bother having hospitals? There, are, The only reason that any major city even has one is for convalescence of mental patients. Yeah. Um, but but uh, physical injury is just dealt with by local small-level wizards. It's not a big deal. And I, I would say, like... Thematically, the book feels very pulp. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be a pulp adventure, like, two-fisted hero. It's like if Magic the Gathering had an Indiana Jones expansion. Yeah, kind of. Uh, everyone dresses like it's the 1940s, or they dress like, uh, I hate to even say it, but they dress like fantasy Roma people. Uh, There's a lot of loose, gauzy scarves in this. Well, yeah, because you're, of course, going to have an entire nation of that. Yeah. And there is. Oh, yeah. There's, there's, there's the, the Talisari or whatever they're called. Yeah, they're yeah. like, hey, these are gypsy people. And I'm like, please don't do that, Buck. Please don't don't have a hole. At least in this case, they're, a, they're an oppressed class inside of the, the country they live in. Yes. Because they live in the Voivod country. They're, there's the, the country with the evil empire of super military. And then also there's some Roma people there. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we have that. But everyone dresses in gauzy anime silk scarves and junk. Or, or you're dressed up in like 1930s. I'm in a white suit, yeah, and I look like a cool Humphrey Bogart guy, or I'm 
in like a bomber jacket and I have goggles. one of those World War One pirate or a uh, pilot goggle <laughs> sets. Pirate goggles. Yeah, get them pirate goggles. You know, you know, you know when you've had too much grog and you get them pirate goggles. <laughs> I get those pirate goggles when I think it would be a good idea to fuck a pirate. <laughs> Yeah, like, that's oh, when you had too much grog. Yeah, it's never, any amount of grog is too much grog. Have you ever seen the recipe for grog? That shit is disgusting. <laughs> oh, yeah, baby. You get some grog, some hardtack, and boy, howdy, you are going to vomit. It really depends on the era, too, because the first definition of grog is just rum with water in it. Yeah. Uh, but then eventually it But then it just like, keeps adding shit into it. Well, it. it turns into a punch, eventually. Eventually it's got, like, battery acid and pepperoni. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you do. <laughs> Tax. <laughs> Gunpowder, just beard, we beard hair, ennui, <laughs> torn up woods porno, <laughs> and then watered down rum. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, so the world is neat. It's like like you're, like John was saying. It's like a 1930s magically charged up pulp world. It's a great yeah. setting. There's cool giant airplanes ro- roving around. There's there's interesting monsters happening at different places. The shade can make a really cool villain. It's it's a cool setting. Yeah, you can. I mean, you can do things like. Uh, I want to do, like, one of those classic jungle adventures. All right, you go into the gnocchi town and... The, you go- the gnocchi? Yeah, those those gnocchi. Yeah, okay. You boil them up. Yeah, pull them up real good. <laughs> serve them with, like, a vodka sauce. Yeah. Yeah, okay. You just go in there and you're like, I'm going to go into these jungles and find, like, lost temples to the gods that have left. Or oh, yeah, cause you, can, it, you can be like, I'm fighting this evil empire because it's definitely one of those worlds where it's like thousands of years ago super wizards built floating crystal cities that crashed all over the place and now they are overgrown ruins pl- uh, prowled by monsters and so there's lots of great ideas for where you can go and have a fun adventure so it's it's neat it's a neat setting um but uh but yeah I mean, it's just the complexity of it tends to overwhelm a little bit uh and before we before we get through this I know we're going to push a little long here, but one of the things we consistently get accused of is skipping the combat sections because they suck. Huh. So, so real quickly here, let's talk about how combat works in this game. Well, everything's D10 based. Yep, you roll a D10, you add your reaction, your aptitude, your skill with practice in your particular weapon, and then you compare that against the defense rolled of the same uh, or, or the person you're trying to hit. And they're going to roll their aptitude, their reaction, their dodge or weapon score, and uh, or sorry, athletics for dodge or weapon score for weapon and attempt to dodge out of the way of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the basic mechanic of trying to hit someone. There are no dice for damage. Uh, yep. Weapons just do the damage that's listed on them. So, for example, a sword may say, damage, 10 AP 2. Uh, and what that means is that it does 10 damage, and it has an armor-piercing value of 2. Uh, armor pierce is the uh, the core mechanic to make this game infuriating. Because <laughs> um, armor will have an armor value of like 12 AV 3, which is an armor value as compared to an armor pierce. So if a weapon has a higher armor pierce than the armor value of the armor it's swinging against, for every point higher that the AP is than the AV, you divide the value of the front number, the armor's standard value, in half. So, for Uh. example, if you swing a a, a 10 AP2 sword at a a, a 10 AP1 armor, then it hits, has one extra point of AP, so you cut the armor value in half to 5 and deal 5 damage. There you go. If uh, if the armor value is higher than the armor pierce, it reduces the total number of wounds, and not vitality, but wounds, you can suffer from that damage by the number that it's higher than the AP vi. <laughs> vi. Um, uh. This is very hard to keep in your head, but I- I'm trying at the moment. Uh, so the game works on what's called a speed score, and uh, speed is, again, one of your, your uh, derived stats. It tends yeah. to be higher than the other stats. 
and you use it during combat as a as a buy round refreshing mechanic that you bid to buy effects. So, for example, when you start a round, you take your reaction score and you add a bid from your speed score, which can range as high as like 20. You add a bid from it. Those two numbers put together is your initiative, and then you compare that against everyone else's bid initiative to see who goes first. Yeah. Uh, you can spend your uh, additional successes on an attack roll or speed score to buy things like extra attacks or extra damage or AP value to individual attacks or to add things like disarm effects to attacks. Uh, so it can be this very fluid, interesting game with a lot happening. So, for example, let's say I hit John with a sword. And I, I hit him so hard that I get six, six extra successes on my hit. I can spend those six, six extra successes, which are all aren't going to roll into damage because the damage of the sword is just sword damage. It's, it's just its damage. So instead, I'll say things like, I have six successes here. I'm going to use those to decrease John's armor value by one and then add three extra damage to the roll. There you go. So that's the way you can, so you can spend things. Uh, you can do the same thing with defense. You can spend successes on a defense roll to do things like dodge out of the way or counterattack. Uh-huh. And after you make your attack in any given round, you can spend additional speed to buy more attacks. Uh, this is a really neat kind of fluid mechanic. It has a lot of rules for things like uh, like dancing around or, or swinging on chandeliers and well, wrestling. It means, it means you always are going to have stuff to do. Mm -hmm. You've got points to spend on things. And if you have a really cool hit, like you do something really well, rather than just being like, oh, I do more damage, it's I can do cool effects now or yeah. I can change how I'm doing something. Yeah, it's it's very innovative. It's got a couple of small flaws to it. The APAV thing is is difficult to remember exactly what's happening. Yeah, and, and AV is so power or AP is so powerful against high armor that it's the only thing that's worth buying. When you're like, I'm trying to swing at this guy and he's wearing armor that's got 32 AV three, <laughs> and you're like, what's what's that? Well, he's wearing non magical super heavy armor. All right, well for three points of uh, of speed or extra successes, I can cut his armor from 32 to 16. That's like saying 16 extra damage. That feels like it's pretty worth it to me. Yeah, the, well, I mean, even looking at weapons going like, all right, but what's the actual pierce of this? Because if you want to hit someone who's in high, like, armor value stuff, you know, okay, yeah, this weapon might be like, you know, 12 damage, but its AP is 1, whereas this might be like 6 damage, but its AP is 3, which means I'm effectively going to get a shitload more damage out of this than the I would AP, from yeah. the, the higher base damage. So now there are two types of damage that you're dealing. One of them is lethal wound damage, and again, well, I'm just going to roll through this real quick because we're running low on time here. Uh, a character has, and, and this is another thing I really want to talk about because it's a pet peeve of mine in the game, there's a, there's a stat in this game called Vitality, and that is the overall number of hit points your character has. If you suffer enough Vitality uh, to, uh, to knock you unconscious, then you fall unconscious. Yep. And here's how you calculate it, and I'm going to tell you the entire per uh, formula. You ready? Huh. It is, open parentheses, phys uh, physique divided by two, close parentheses, plus five times, open parentheses, mass divided by two, close parentheses. Now, here's what drives me nuts about this. Uh, let's say a character has a physique and a mass of six. That means that they should have 18 uh, in that uh, vitality stat, because it's going to be physique divided by two is three. And then you've got plus five out there, but you're following PEMDAS, so what you're going to do next is go to that other parentheses, open it up, divide your mass by two, get three, multiply that by five, because multiplication comes before addition, and uh, you're going to end up with 15. Then you're going to add that, because uh, addition is the last thing that matters in this calculation, to the three from the other side and get 18. Right? Wrong. The answer is 24, because this guy doesn't know what PEMDAS is, he just goes left to right. Yep, everything in this is left to right. 
He doesn't really worry about that, which is weird for someone including like algebraic stuff in yeah, his book, like long equations to do stuff. He's like, also just do this left to right. It's like, no, man, if you're going to include parentheses and additions and subtractions and multiplications in a stat score, I'm going to do it right because I went to school. <laughs> I can't I can't not follow order of algebraic operations anymore. It's impossible for me. <laughs> so anyway, uh, you have the vitality score, which is your general overall health. It's the HP of other games. Then you have different physique divided by two plus one or minus one calculations for all the various parts of your body. Yeah, you've got so, like your head and your arms and your legs and your chest. And- so so every chunk of you also has hit points. And that, that value you get from, say, like your chest, for example, has physique divided by two plus two uh, lethal wound levels in it. Great. Each one of those lethal wound levels has your physique in hit points. I'm sorry, your mass in hit points. So, for example, if your chest has, uh, what did we say, five hit points? If your chest has five hit points, then each one of those hit points has three hit points. Uh, And if you take enough lethal levels in an arm, for example, to knock it out, it just becomes unusable. Yeah. You can heal vitality using magic during a fight. So your overall vitality, because you're taking both types of damage at once all the time. Uh, Vitality will keep you in a fight even if your arm is busted. Yeah. So you can have that healed, but the only way you can heal... uh, the other wounds, like lethal wounds to your arms and legs and head, are uh, via ma- like real powerful magic that takes longer. So fights tend to be kind of uh, disruptive. Everyone gets fucked up, and then eventually someone wins. There's no stay- staying healed in the fight forever. Yeah. So I just wanted to go through all that to explain to people how the combat system works. It is... There's too many moving parts. There's yeah, a, I feel a- like combat would take real long, given the very drilled down like minutia of your damage levels and and just to be also clear here this is one of those games where everything's divided up into five foot increments and weapons have range like short range weapons like a sword is a medium range weapon medium melee weapon compared to a dagger which is a short melee weapon that has differences in terms of how far away the people you can attack uh, can be and how fast the weapon is and how much speed it costs to buy an attack with it yeah so this is the sort of game that feels like it was written with miniatures in mind because you're buying five-foot steps with your speed and all that oh, stuff. Yeah. But there's no miniature system. So it's it's one of those games where you're going to be like, I have to know exactly how many feet away I am in feet from the Ayanu Voss assassin. And then I'll buy speed to get over near him. And it's like, this would be very useful if these were five-foot squares instead of just five-feet increments. Yes. It's one of those uh, where it, it, it feels like it should not be theater of the mind, even though it is. Well, I mean... Any game that has these kinds of increments, you can just go ahead and put on a map. Who gives a fuck? Yeah, it'd be a lot better if you did. Like, Rifts for, is the same thing, where it's like, oh, this has a range of a 30-foot cone that is six foot across. It's That's useless in, in the theater of the mind that Rifts is. Oh, yeah. So, anyway, uh, I think that's probably enough about the combat system. We've gone over the world. Yeah, I think, I think we've basically covered. Yeah, I think we're there. So, uh, John, would you like to talk about your favorite and least favorite? Sure, let's do it. Okay, this is the only thing about this this podcast that we've managed to consistently do through all the episodes. <laughs> this is the only <laughs> bit that we still have. Remember when we used to do Jeff's Pizza Watch? Huh? You remember You remember back in the day when we used to give things a rating in this? We, oh, that's right. We did used to give things yeah, a Yeah, like the first five episodes. Yeah, we gave things like a one to something or other. That's That was never a good system because we're too objective. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, or Yeah, anyway, let's move on. John, what would you say is your favorite thing about uh, uh, the legend of Zyre Anne? I feel like my favorite thing in this is going to be directly related to my least favorite thing. Okay. Uh, So I may as well do both of them right out the gate. All right, fine. So, John, take the first turn. What are your favorite and least favorite things about The Legend of Zeron? 
So my favorite thing in this is definitely going to be the setting. I really like the, like, Magitech pulp setting. Mm -hmm. I don't think we see a lot of pulp setting things. You get your standard fantasy, you get your sci-fi, you get your modern day. Yeah. But the, the, like, Indiana Jones, like, searching through old temples and Using a seaplane to get there. Yeah. That's cool. That type of story... I don't see as much of in RPGs. Yeah. Like, I'm going to see a dozen uh, superhero RPGs before I find a pulp one. Yeah, it's basically for every 15 Darkwing Ducks, there's one tailspin. Yeah. So, I feel like the setting for this is very interesting. It gives you a lot of cool places to go to. Mm -hmm. uh, the whole thing of, like, the Abandoned by the Gods thing, that's... That's a very interesting hook that you can do a lot with. The story is cool. A, a game set in this world using any engine would be cool. Yeah. Uh, but my least favorite thing is, of course, just the amount of knowledge of this world that you need to have in order to make a character. It requires a player to really dive into the book and be like, okay, during character creation, I have to read over every nation. I have to read over all of this background stuff, and that's so easily discouraging for a player mm -hmm. that a new person coming to the game could be very easily put off of it. I could see that. Because you have to know so much and look through so many things that at some point you're just going to go, fuck it, I just chose it random, I don't care. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if you do that, you're going to miss out on a lot of the cool stuff in there. Yeah. So I think those really blend together for my best and worst in there. So well, how about you? I'm going to say, I'll probably do the same thing as you. I think I'm going to take the combat system as my favorite and least favorite thing. Okay. Although I think we should both say an honorable mention of least favorite thing for the layout. Just, <laughs> yes. Let's just put that out there. I mean, I'm going to say that is, it's an unreadable book, yeah. almost. And, There's huge uh, chunks of this book I didn't even read because my eyes would not. Yeah, so, J Jesus, if they, if they had another edition of this where they're like, oh, we took out all that dumb nonsense, I'd be like, great. Yeah, get me that copy. I would love to read a copy of this book that's not written in the, in this fashion. I mean, not written, not laid out in this fashion. Because yes. the book's written just fine. No, it's I mean, great writing with yeah. the shittiest like page layout I'm, you could get. I mean, especially after reading things like Fatal and Cyberworld, this book is competently edited. Yeah. The, everything's spelled correctly. The only thing he doesn't seem to understand is the order of standard algebraic operation, but I'm okay with forgiving that. Um it passed the seduction test. Overall, this is a good game. Yeah. But the layout was garbage. Yeah. Just putting that 100%. there. 100%. Yeah. So, all right. My favorite thing in this is the complex or the uh, flexibility of combat. I like how you can buy things with your extra successes. It really keeps the game fluid. We didn't even mention it, but this game has a fascinating martial arts and weapons combat system. You can spend your, uh, your character creation points and XP on to become really good with swords or pick up really cool regional martial arts that oh, don't... Oh, yeah. If you want to be like, I've, I've got elf martial arts, you yeah. can do that. No, they're so, they're so cool because they're not just like, oh, this is obviously Shotokan Karate, it's, except it's called Notakan Karate because it's uh, not Shotokan. From it's the Nolis, yeah. Nolakan. <laughs> the Yoki's got that potato-based martial art. I got that Shotokan Karate. <laughs> they use Spud Fu. <laughs> I'm going to use my Yukon Gold Fist. <laughs> so, uh, anyway... The, the, I love the martial arts system. I love the things you can do by spending your successes on attacks. The, the, the diceless damage and, and interaction system is sort of cool. I was a fan. I thought it was really flexible and interesting. I, I liked the combat system. Uh, I think it needs some tweaking, and certain aspects of it become my least favorite things. I think the random body hit location chart is never a good thing to see in a game. Yeah, I mean, basically any time in a game where they're like, 
And now, random hit locations. I'm like, don't. Oh, come on. You're just slowing down the process. You're just like, all right, I hit him. I do some damage, too. I hit him. Where did I hit him? I'll roll those dice. What happens to that part of him I hit? I'll roll those dice. Okay, what happens during his next round? Does he recover the use of his arm? Let's find out. I'm like, ah, dude. Yeah, it just slows so much stuff down. Abstract this stuff. For a game that was already, it's like it pole vaulted amazingly. It was like, hey, you know what the problem is with, uh, with combat? Too many dice. Let's skip the damage step. That's a really cool idea, right? Here we go up into the air with the pole vault. Oh, there's a bag over there. There's just spikes. <laughs> That's what happened. So My rings! The other problem was in initiative, which you use a bidding system. You, send, you spend some of your speed for initiative. If the other person's faster than you, you should never even bother trying to go faster than them. Bid zero and use all your extra points to buy extra attacks. Yeah. In fact, if you're fighting fast enemies, just never bid. Don't bother going for the alpha strike. And it's, you know, it should be a hidden bid system. Uh, which it may, you know, that might be a better way to do it, so that players have a reason to bother spending initiative on a- on initiative. Yeah. So other than that, though, I like the com- I like the flexibility of the combat system. That's going to be my favorite thing in this book. I dislike the complexity of the combat system. That's going to be my least favorite thing in this book. All right. All right. Would you play the Legend of Zeron? Or sorry, it's actually called the Secret of Zeron. If I've been calling it the Legend of Zeron this whole time, the Legend of Hidden Zeron Temple. I, I apologize. The Legend of Zyre, the, the Secret of Zyre Ann, starring the Neoki people. <laughs> Uh, you know, I feel like I could give it a shot, but I, there's enough in the system that I'm not a super big fan of that if it was house ruled enough, I could do it. Like I said, I love the setting. I would play it with certain other systems. That would be fine. Yeah. Uh, this system with a few tweaks would be okay. Yeah. I I would play this game. I'm sorry. I'm answering my question now. Yeah, go yeah. for it. I would play this game hands down with a quick streamlining of the combat system. Yeah. Um, and with, I'd say, a reduction of the starting. I, I know that sounds silly. This game gives you like 40 potential starting uh, or locations. And then out of those 40 locations, each one's got like five unique classes. And I mean, granted, they're just little skill packages, but it feels like too much. It should. If I were to be rewriting this book, I'd be like, let's pick the good guy countries, like the core treaty countries. And say, hey guys, there are so many more countries than this. Here they are in this supplement book. Yeah, or even just say like, here are some universal versions of whatever and be like, mm-hmm. are you from whatever country and you are in their like merchant group? Okay, here's a merchant thing that yeah. you can do. There's these little minute differences between like, I'm a, I'm a merchant from uh, the Merchant Isles and I'm a merchant from the Fire Reaches. Yeah. There's these minute little skill differences. It's a lot like when you're reading through old Rifts material and you're like, oh boy, a coalition pilot, a Triax pilot. Well, yeah. Oh, I mean, with the merchant, it's basically going to be like, oh, I was from the Merchant Isles, which means I got extra points in sailing, but this is a merchant from one of like the inner countries, which means I get a point in like riding. Yeah. Okay, it's, great. It's, un- it's unnecessary complexity. It's rare that you'd hear me say this book has too much cool stuff in it. But this book has too much cool stuff in it. Huh. It would be better. I mean, I feel bad for saying that. It's like an AMPM. <laughs> it's like an AMPM in that it actually has Pepsi and Coke. There's too much good stuff. Yeah. And there's too many different Snickers variants. Ladies and gentlemen, this episode has been brought to you by AMPM. We AMPM. finally Too we, much good stuff. We finally got that advertiser. We finally did it. We've been looking for years to get someone who wants to advertise, and there it is, AMPM. <laughs> this is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Oh, thank heaven. <laughs> this is brought to you by Circle K. Just kidding. No, it wasn't. Circle K. I don't know. Maybe they have a slogan. Circle K. What? You couldn't find an AMPM? Circle K. Something strange is afoot. <laughs> Circle K. Buy weed outside. <laughs> uh. All right. So so there you go. Um, this is a 
uh, uh, interesting, intelligently written, tragically flawed game. There you go. Let's put it that way. It's worth looking into. Yeah, um, I mean, it's man, I I, I like love I pulp want, so much. I I want to recommend yeah reading it to people, but reading it is so painful. Yeah, I know the layout is just such a hard thing. It's it's so rare that we come across good pulp stuff. Yeah, that, that I'm so I'm just so tempted to just push it forward and be like, guys, get this. It's pulp. It's rare. Because <laughs> think about it, what are the other good pulp games? They're, they're for one reason or another, almost all of them have boring ass Cthulhu stuff in them. I was gonna say almost all the ones I can think of are like, it's pulp, but Cthulhu is there. Yeah, which might as well be it's pulp, but Cthulhu isn't there is rarer. Yeah. Or I mean, there's one pulp universe in Torg, which good lord, good great. Yeah. But uh, the I mean. <sighs> I think the the closest thing you get are ones that are like we're World War Two yeah. things, but then it but leans Cthulhu very heavily. Oh yeah, I've played that. I've played a Cthulhu Fate World War Two game. Yeah, and there's also Weird War Two, which is a, a rough equivalent in the Savage Worlds universe. Yeah. So so yeah, there's there's all kinds of great games out there, but pulp games are rare. So definitely give this one a look if you find it, and if you're okay with reading horrible layout. Yep. There you go. So folks, thanks so much for listening. This has been. The System Mastery Podcast. I'm going to give John the permission to turn his mic off so he can start coughing and hacking like he's been trying so hard not to do this oh, whole thank time. Christ. Yeah. So, uh, as always, System Mastery Podcast. You can find us at SystemMasteryPodcast.com as well as System Mastery on Facebook, Gmail, Twitter, or Reddit. Uh, anywhere, one of those places you try and reach out to us, we are very good about, about talking to people. We'll answer your questions. We'll either do it on the afterthought or we'll do it in an email. Uh, so feel free to send us recommendations, questions. Uh, if you want to mail us books, you're always welcome to do that. Just know that you are not getting them back. I'm building a library. So uh, if you need that, you can always email us and ask us for the, ad- the address. Uh, otherwise, uh, feel free to support us on Patreon. If you give us any amount of money on the Patreon feed, you get access to our bonus content where we make characters in the games that we just uh, read through. And then we it gives us a little chance to dive deeper into the character creation process, uh, talk more about the game world, and uh, you know our classic brand of jokery as we make fun of our characters and each other. Uh, additionally, we are super close to another goal on Patreon. We are currently at like 567. When we we hit 600, we're going to play our brand new live play game, which is a rare thing for System Mastery. We almost never do live play, but we'll be partnering with Quinn from Swallows of the South to run Mad Max X-Crawl, our idea that we had way back when we reviewed X-Crawl, uh, using the 7th edition Gamma World engine. Uh, so that's going to be an insane, crazy idea for a game. Way better than Live Play Fatal, which was the first idea. Uh, but all we have to do is hit that 600 goal. So help us out there. Thanks so much for listening, and have a good week. Yeah.